All right, well, it's 9 o'clock. Since I do like to start on time, we'll get started. Uh, in my summer, my profitable summer here, my summer of profits, uh, we have uh, the third one that we're covering today is uh, going to be Nahum. Uh, it's usually on the top 10 of everybody's list, right, for what, what I need to read in the Bible this week. It's on. It's in the top ten. I'm sure, yeah. right? Which is why I'd like to like to study these uh, because they have a lot of very important and powerful lessons in them. Uh, Nahum, uh, we need to remember that uh, when we started out, Namos, uh, the Assyrian nation, which had been Doing very was was very powerful and control controlled the uh, the Middle East uh, had gone into a slight downturn, which allowed uh, Israel to become very wealthy and powerful. And in Amos, we look at uh, God's answer to uh, the kingdom of Israel concerning the way they were treating people and and. How they and how God was displeased with them, and how he, they were going to be uh, destroyed by the Assyrian uh, nation. Then we looked at Joel. Uh, Joel was uh, the the prophet prophet that tells us about a plague of locusts and how we should react when a punishment comes like this either through nature or for God, but how we turn, should return to God and pray and, and uh, fast and pray and, and, and renew our relationship with God. Then we finally come now with Nahum, which sort of brings us full circle on the Assyrians. Uh, the Assyrian nation is, or is, is the power at this time in the Middle East. It's uh, the time of, of Nahum uh, is in that 7th, 8th century uh, BC, and Assyria is now on the rise again after a few, uh, after a generation or two of infighting in, in Assyria, it's on the rise again. So we'll look at Nahum. First of all, like most of the minor prophets, and when we say minor prophets, we don't mean that the message they have is of little importance or the prophet himself was of no importance. Uh, it just means they're short. Uh, the minor prophets were just a series of short prophecies. Uh, Nahum is uh, three chapters. Uh, Joel is three chapters. Uh, not very long, but uh, has a lot of very good information in it. Uh, Nahum was an Elkoshite. Now that means he was from Elkosh, maybe, or something like that. But we don't know where where that is. I've seen uh, there's there's a town in Iraq called Elkosh, and they claim to be where Nahum was born. Uh, Others will say, well, no, it's up by 
up just north of Nineveh. That's where it is. And some say, no, it's, it's Capernaum. And others say, no, it's a town in the south of, of Judah. Bottom line is, we haven't a clue. And, uh, and we can try and guess all we like, but uh, as far as I know, God only knows um, where uh, Nahum the Elkoshite came from. And we know he's, and that's all we know of him. Uh, so many guesses about where he, where he, uh, uh, where he came from. Uh, when he wrote this, we know we know more information. First of all, he's it's to Judah. Uh, we know that it's after the fall of of uh, Israel, we know that the, uh, that Thebes has fallen to the, uh, to the Assyrian army, and we do know when that occurred. Uh, Thebes was, uh, was attacked and destroyed by the Assyrians in about 663 B.C. So we know that it's after that. We also know that uh, Nineveh or, and fell and was sacked in 612 BC. Uh, and that a couple years later, uh, in the, at the Battle of, I think it's Haddon or something like that, uh, that the Assyrian army, army was finally totally destroyed by the Babylonians. So we find that at that time, Assyria, which had been the power in the Mideast, has now been supplanted by Babylon, which has been rising in power for, uh, for 50 to 100 years and has been challenging Assyria. We also know if, uh, along that line uh, from biblical sources, that it was after the uh, Assyrians uh, had come and try had sacked basically uh, they had run through and conquered most of Judah uh, that was around 701 BC when they finally after taking all of the uh, fortified cities in Judah had finally brought their army up Against uh, against Hezekiah and in Jerusalem, and it started to lay siege to Jerusalem. We also know that, depending upon uh, your source, if you look at uh, Shennacherib, the uh, who is the king of of Assyria at the time that uh, that Judah was or that Jerusalem was besieged. Um, that was around 701 B.C. and Hezekiah is the king of Jerusalem and we have in 2 Kings, and we'll get to it in a few moments, uh, discussions of what happened in that siege. Uh, our take on it and the biblical take on it and I will say the true take on it is that God 
did as he promised to Hezekiah, protected Jerusalem, and had a uh, some sort of plague or battle between the in within the army of uh, the Assyrians and basically wiped out their own army overnight and the Assyrians decided to pack up and leave. Uh, and they went back to Assyria without, without uh, taking Jerusalem. Now, if you read Shennacherib's view of it, he said, well, he got distracted by the, by the Egyptians and he went down and he had to <coughs> take care of that and he came back to Jerusalem and he was going to be ready to and he's going to putting a siege on that. And then something required his attention back in Nineveh. And so he packed up his army and left. Take your pick on how you want to, on how you want to look at it. I personally think that the biblical uh, message is correct. Uh, and so back to time of when it was written. So we've, we've sort of lined up. We know that a Hezekiah and Jerusalem were besieged by the Assyrian army. Uh, we do know that they got distracted for, for a year or so uh, by the Egyptians, and we do know they came back, and then under some circumstance, they decided that they'd go back to Nineveh. The, it's important to, rec to find out that, because a lot of what Nahum is going to talk is talking about occurred because of what we read in, uh, during Hezekiah's time in 2 Kings uh, 18 and 19, which we'll go to in a few moments. But more importantly, back on the timing of this, uh, we know that, that uh, the, the, this prophecy vision occurred sometime between uh, 663 B.C. and 612. 612 is when Assyria was sacked, or Nineveh was sacked. 663 was the fall of Thebes. And so somewhere in there, and if we look at, at, at who, was the, who were the kings in Jerusalem, or in Judah, uh, it falls under the reign of Manasseh, and Ammon, and Josiah. Now we also notice... Uh, that's as close as we can come, really. But if you want to look at the book uh, and notice that, well, there's nothing saying that uh, God is particularly angry with Judah at this time. And it, the implication is that things are right with God in Judah at this time. And if we look at the three kings that are reigning in, the, in Judah, during that uh, time frame of uh, 663 to, uh, to 612, uh, recognizing that, you're, that, that this is going to be a number of years before 612, uh, Manasseh the, was not a really good king. He was, uh, did evil in God's eyes, though he did repent toward the end. Ammon was absolutely bad. And Josiah was good. Now Josiah took, became king at the age of eight. 
in about uh, 640 BC. And 10 years later, when he's about 18, is when they found the uh, Book of the Law. And Josiah, by that time, was, was uh, following God, had, had uh, changed the direction of Jerusalem, and they found the law. He repented of all the evils that had gone on in Judah beforehand, and there was a, uh, a, a renaissance of, of uh, worship of God in Judah during his reign. And so, based on these factors, the mo most people think that this was written about the time of Josiah. So that would sort of narrow it down between uh, 640 BC and certainly no, or no uh, earlier or later than, uh, than 612. So in that range. And they would, based on things being seen to be right with Judah during Nahum time and a few other things, it's felt that a good guess for when this is written is about 630 BC, which is after the Book of the Law has been found. Uh, it's, it's during this Renaissance period in, in Judah. And it's a few generations still before the fall of Nineveh. And that would sort of line up with what is internally in this book. So we're going we're gonna to just give it a try and say about 630 BC. Uh, and and it all, all in all, that sort of makes sense. But to actually understand what is happening in this vision that he's having, uh, we need to go back to uh, we need to go back to Second uh, Kings uh, chapters eighteen and nineteen, and I'd really love to go through the entire uh, the entire uh, two chapters of Second Kings, but uh, we don't have really that much time, so we'll just hit the highlights of it. And we'll start out with Shennacherib's army coming in and taking, first thing they did was they, they moved on. This is about 15, 20 years, 20 years after the fall, of, uh, uh, the fall of Samaria and the kingdom of Israel. And now they're coming back to uh, take Judah. And during this time, he has uh, gone and conquered all of the fortified cities in Judah. Uh, there's six, seven, eight of them. Uh, and he's now uh, camped in front of Jerusalem. His army is. And he sends an emissary in chapter 18 of Second Kings, chapter uh, 17, uh, and he he's, uh, sends this emissary, uh, and the, the, and the uh, supreme commander was sent, his chief field commander, uh, and, he, uh, stepped, and he comes before the walls of Jerusalem. 
Then they came, they came to Jerusalem, stopped at the aqueduct of the upper pool and on the road to washerman, the washerman's field. And they called for the king and Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, uh, the palace administrator, Sebna, the secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph. Uh, at, uh, that's close enough. And the, record, uh, the recorder went out to them to talk. And field commander said to them, Tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria, says. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? You say that you have the counsel and the might of, for war, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending to, that you rebel against me? Look, I know you're depending upon Egypt, that splintered reed of a staff, which pierces the hand of anyone who leans on it, such as the Pharaoh, is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who depend upon him. But if you say to me, oh, we're depending upon the Lord our God, isn't he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah removed, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before uh, this altar in Jerusalem. Come now, make a bargain with my master. The king of Assyria, I will give you 2,000 horses, if you can put riders on them. Uh, how can you repulse one officer of the least of my master's officials, even though you are depending on Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Furthermore, I have come to attack and destroy this place without... Have I come to attack and destroy this place without word from the Lord? The Lord himself told me to march against this country and destroy it. Uh, so much to say about this. Uh, one, of course, is that the, as is normal with Judah, they, they find another power that's, got, uh, that's a little bigger than they are. They're not a large kingdom. And they make uh, uh, pacts with them, uh, mutual defense pacts. We do it all the time today. That's how World War I got started, as I remember. It started off in some small corner of Nowhereville, and, uh, but mutual pacts just sort of spread it for, you know, to where it was covering all of Europe and Africa and you name it. Uh, so they, we, that's one point we have. Uh, another one is that Hezekiah is boasting that he's, uh, they're protected by their God. And Shennacherib makes a really brilliant assumption that, well, Hezekiah may be relying on that, but I'm sure God is angry at him because he destroyed all those high places, which, of course, is the exact opposite of what God wanted. He wanted all those high places destroyed, and Josiah had done that, uh, and then he, or Hezekiah had done that, and then uh, he also wants to make a bargain with them. And I, I, I like the idea. We'll throw in two thousand horses for you guys. All you got to do is find somebody to ride them. <laughs> so they, they really, they're not. What is his message saying? You having a chance. You know, give up. 
and um, and and then we'll just concede and we'll be kind to you. Now the Assyrians are known for their kindness in war, uh, and and we'll find that I think in the, I think it's in the third chapter of Nahum where they describe, or maybe in the second where they decide to, uh, where he describes the sacking of uh, of Thebes and. Um, not not very pleasant. Um, they destroyed everything in their sight. Uh, they were known to, at the end of a battle, have put a stack of heads in front of the gate, just to remind people all the all of your uh, your leaders from your city. We just stack their heads up. It sends a message. And other times they would just take people and they just they'd drive a stake in the ground and they'd impale them on it all and they'd just stack bodies. Uh, nice people. They're nice people. Uh, they had an excellent. This by this time they had actually gone to a professional army. Prior to that, uh, they were normal for the area. They'd have an army that uh, after once you got the crops planted and you're just letting it rain and having it grow, you can take the men and send them off to war. Uh, now they've, they have a professional army where they fight year-round. Uh, their brutality is, is uh, well known. They will normally go to a city and they'll give them a choice. Uh, if, you, if you give up, we'll come in and we'll just take all of you and deport you from your area and scatter them around our kingdom, but you'll be alive. If you don't, we're going to lose some people, and I don't want to have to tell their, their uh, wives that their husbands and parents that their son is, has died, uh, and I will exact revenge on you. And they did. And it was an effective weapon. You could come in and say, well, you just saw the town up the road. They decided that they were going to fight us. You see what we did to them? Now, we will do the same to you because we are much more powerful than you are. So why don't you just give up? Make it easy on us. I don't lose anybody. You don't lose anybody. You just lose everything you own. Fair, fair choice. So that's what's, what, what he's telling them in this message. And but how the the one thing is, and it's going to come clearer a little later on another message that he sent. They have no uh, respect for God. He's just like all the other gods of all the other towns of all the other peoples that are around here, and he's going. They're going to eventually get to telling them what they. What they think. Well, what your Hezekiah? Just think, Joel would with uh, Hezekiah is a good king, and he knows what should be done. Uh, Hezekiah then rends his garments, and he uh, and he moves, and he goes in, and he prays in the temple. He falls down, and he calls for a prophet of God. To come, if we go back to Jeremiah, that they uh, uh, that was one of the things they 
trouble they had was the prophets of God, but in this case, uh, he brings in Isaiah. Isaiah the prophet, and he said, tell us what God wants us to do. This is exactly the way, if we look at Joel and look at other of some of the other prophets, this is what God wants you to do. You have a problem, you bring it before me, and I will tell you through my prophets what you are to do. So they bring it to Hezekiah, and he then relies on, decides to rely on God. Uh, if we look in verses uh, 28 through 35, uh, there's another little interesting message, tidbit. Uh, okay, in Israel, in Judah, they speak Hebrew. In Assyria, they speak the Assyrian language. But everybody speaks Aramaic that has, that has any education. So when they come up and start talking to the, to the uh, uh, this message comes out from Shennacherib, the, the commander speaks, well, he speaks the language of Assyria, he speaks Aramaic, and he speaks Hebrew. And the and people, the the messengers from from uh, King Hezekiah tell them, okay, we don't want to alarm the people in the city. Basically, speak to us in Aramaic. We understand it, and most of the pe common people they only own understand Hebrew. And the messenger from Shennacherib says, no, I want them all to hear, and he speaks it. He gives the message in Hebrew. It's a little interesting uh, tidbit, I think, because uh, of how you fight this battle. It's a it's a psychological battle at right, this point. Nothing is no arms. They're just trying to force the the people in Israel to uh, to overthrow or overrule their king. So he uh, when. Chapter 19, when Hez King Hezekiah hears this, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, went to the temple uh, of the Lord, uh, and he sent for Isaiah. And Isaiah tells him uh, that you're to rely on God and that he'll take care of it. Um, Isaiah, in, starting in, in verse 5, chapter 19, when Hezekiah's Officials came to Isaiah. Isaiah said to them, Tell your master, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid of what you have heard. Those words which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen, when he hears a certain report, I will make him want to return to his own country, and there I will have him cut down by the sword. And when the field commanders uh, heard this, uh, that the Assyrians had left Lachish, and he withdrew and found the king fighting against Libna. Now, Shennacherib received the report uh, from uh, that the, uh, a report that uh, Tirhaka, the king of the of Cush, was marching out to fight against him. Now, this is in Egypt. Uh, so he sent some messengers 
to Hezekiah with the, with the word, say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, don't let the God you depend on deceive you when he says Jerusalem is not being given to the hands of the king of Assyria. Surely you've heard what the king of Assyria has done to all the countries, destroying them completely. And will you be delivered? Did the gods of the nations that were destroyed by my predecessors deliver them? No. The god of, the god of uh, Gozen, Haran, uh, Haran uh, Rezpa, people of Eden, who were, uh, and Telassar, where did their kings, what do their gods do? Nothing. And so Hezekiah then once again gets this message, goes to Isaiah, gets a message from us, and Isaiah says, in verse 20, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I have heard your, your prayer concerning Shennacherib, king of Assyria. This is the word the Lord has spoken against him. And I don't want to spend too much time going through this. I really encourage you to read uh, what his message was. The bottom line uh, is that don't worry, this is my battle. I will take care of this. And you will be safe. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against him. By the way he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. And then that night, an angel of the Lord went out, put to death 185,000 of the Assyrian camp. And when people got up the mor next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Shennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew and returned to Nineveh and stayed there. Um, so this, I think, to me, is what's going on in Nahum. Shennacherib has blasphemed God. It's bad enough, you might say, to um, for him to tell the the Israelites, the Judah, those of Judah, that your king is worthless and so are you. But he blasphemed God, and that's where we where we uh, end up with when we get to Nahum. So if we'll, we'll jump into, the, into Nahum, remembering that Nineveh, the kings of Nineveh, have blasphemed God. Also, just as a background, to finish it off, um, in 681, Shennacherib was murdered by his, two of his sons. Uh, he had uh, chosen a younger son to be his heir, and the older sons were not happy about that. And when he got back to Nineveh, or back up to, up to Assyria, the uh, older sons murdered him. They stabbed him in the back, literally. And they and his younger son, Eshaddon, became king. And that was in uh, 681. So that was about 20 years after, after uh, the Jerusalem expedition. I don't know how long it took him to get back, but probably a year or two. But nonetheless, 
Uh, during Eshaddon, his son, the empire reached its peak in size uh, with the destruction of Thebes in Egypt. Uh, and Eshaddon died uh, in 669 BC, and it's uh, only uh, 70 years later, 80 years later, uh, 612, that Babylon is sacked. Babylon sacks Nineveh, and in 609, Babylon defeated the Syrians uh, at uh, Haran, a well-known town in, uh, in that area uh, for, for the Jews. That was, where, that was uh, where the patriarchs came out of there. And it ended the Assyrian Empire. And now after that, we have Nahum being so Nahum is written probably uh, 50 years, a couple of generations ahead of this. And it's a prophecy to, the Jew, to Judah about the destruction of the upcoming destruction of Nineveh. So if we go to Nahum, starting in the second and going through the eighth verses, we have a hymn to God as the avenger, bringing that who will bring vengeance on our enemies. And I'd like to read that. I think it's, one, it's beautiful, and two, it's informative. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath on his enemies. Notice that not Judah's enemies, it's God's enemies. <clears throat> His way is in the whirlwind and storm, and clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and it dries up. He makes all the rivers run dry. Fashion and caramel uh, will wither, and, and the blossoms of Lebanon will fade. Mountains quake before him, the hills melt away, the earth trembles at his presence, the world and all who live in it. Who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, the rocks are shattered before him. The Lord is good, a refuge in time of trouble. He cares for those who trust him, but will be an overwhelming flood but with an overwhelming flood. He will make an end of, of Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into the realm of darkness. So here we have a hymn. And remember, we've in, in Amos, we popped up three times with hymns to the power and majesty of God. Well, here is a hymn to the power and the majesty of God as an avenger of wrong belongs to him in this particular case. But because it, it also comes down with Judah is the one, is God's people, that he's going to, it's an, avenge, an avenging of the wrongs done to them as well because they relied on him. But it's the vengeance that he's wreaking is because of what Nineveh has done against him against God. He's an avenging God 
and he's been blasphemed by the Assyrians, and now he is going to take his vengeance on the Assyrians for that blaspheming. And he's and it, it's a beautiful passage of the power of God. He rebukes the sea and it dries up. Uh, Basham and Carmel wither. The blossoms of Lebanon fade. He's all powerful. He is. He destroys everything. Nothing can stand up to him. Nothing can stand before him in his power. But all. But they. But then we see. But the Lord is good. And he's a refuge in time of troubles. A refuge and he's good for those who trust in him. And he will, but for, the, for Nineveh, which is what he's taking vengeance on, for Nineveh yeah, there's going to be an overwhelming flood that will bring an end to it. An end to this abomination in Nineveh of the army of the, the army and the empire of Assyria whatever they plot against the Lord he will bring to an end trouble will not come a second time they are they will be entangled in th among thorns and drunk from their own wine they will be consumed like dry stubble. From you, Nineveh, one has come forth who plots evil against the Lord and devises wicked plans. But, the God, but God is going to avenge them. This is what the Lord says. Although they have allies and are numerous, they will be destroyed and pass away. Though I have afflicted you, Judah, I will afflict you no more. Now I will break their yoke from your neck and tear your shackles away. Something to be remembered at this time that's being written is Assyria is still at its peak. It's still at the height of its power. And everyone in the Middle East is paying tribute to them. And they're in shackles, you might say, to them. They, they've survived, but that doesn't mean that they're independent. They are, they are uh, tributes, tributary states to the Assyrians. And the Lord is saying, there may be, they may be numerous, they may be all-powerful, they may look like something that can possibly be defeated by you. But don't worry. It's nothing for me. You've been afflicted, but I'm not. But you're not going to be afflicted by them any longer. Uh, now I will break the yoke that is around your neck and tear the shackles away. Uh, one thing we have to remember is that God's time is not our times. Remember, this is from the time of Jonah, and I didn't mention it, but Jonah also went to Assyria, uh, probably about 50, 60, 70 years earlier. 
And Jonah prophesied to them, told them that in 40 days you will be destroyed by God if you don't clean up your act. If you don't repent. They did. The Ninevites did. They rent their clothes. They put on sackcloth and ashes and they and they uh, fasted and they repented. And God spared them, which was well, which of course Jonah was not happy about. This was it Jonah's amazing because this is that's you're being sent to your enemy to tell them to clean up their act or my God is going to kill them, destroy them. And that was the last thing that Jonah wanted to see happen was for Nineveh to repent. But he knew that if they would repent, and he knew if they did, God would relent, and he wouldn't destroy their worst enemy. And by the way, in a couple of generations after this, that enemy is going to come and sack the kingdom of, uh, of Israel. And of course, he was from the kingdom of Israel. So he's going to his enemy. He's telling him to repent. He's angry at God because, God, I know you're going to relent when they repent. And they did, and, he, and God did relent, and his enemy is still there on his doorstep. It's just that they're busy with their own problem. Uh, and then a few generations later, Nahum is coming back with... They came back to... Uh, uh, Assyria came back worse than ever after that, by the way. And of course, now a few generations later, God is saying, I've had enough. Uh, we, we look at, uh, and in our sermon series that Eddie is giving on, on Joshua, it, it's the same thing. The people in Canaan, I've had enough of them. And you are going to now have Canaan. I've promised to, to your ancestor, to Abraham, and I told him after 400 years, when the Canaanites have gotten as bad as I can stand, we're going to—I will have them removed. And this is happening to Nineveh now. And this is where where we are with uh, Nahum. Uh, I will break the yoke from the neck, from your neck, and tear your shackles away. The Lord has given a command concerning a command concerning you, Nineveh. You will have no descendants to bear your name. I will destroy the images and the idols that are in your temple of your gods. I will prepare your grave, for you are vile. Look, there are there on the mountains the feet of one who brings the good news, who proclaims peace. Celebrate your festivals, Judah, and fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked invade you. They will be completely destroyed. And we'll leave off here. And next week we will we will go through chapter two and three, uh, which is the fall of Nineveh and how it will occur. Are there any questions before we wrap up? No questions. So remember the feet of of one who brings good news, the good news that they're 
that is proclaiming is Nineveh is going to fall. And so Judah, you can get back to your festivals and celebrations and fulfilling all your vows. You don't have to worry about them anymore. Uh, no more will the wicked invade you. And they will be completely destroyed. So next week we will finish off with uh, the last two chapters of, uh, of Nahum. And we'll see you then. Thank you. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.